This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 177 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you can find me on social media throughout the week. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, it has been a busy, crazy, hectic week for me between my trip to Dallas and flying back. And then going back to work the next day, I am just flat out exhausted. But guess what? It was all worth it. Um, You know, having fun has to come at a cost, right? And it has been an amazing week. I, you know, realistically, I still can't wrap my head around everything that happened, but I'm going to do the best that I can to recap that for you. Uh, And that's going to come later in the show. So before I get there, though, I've got a a few other topics that have come up in the last week that I want to talk about. And then also some pieces of mail. So um, let's get all of that out of the way here first. And I absolutely have to start by talking about something that happened last week, really about a week and a half ago. On July 12th, the NBA announced that the league and the Players Association has finally allocated roughly $25 million for what they're calling recognition payments for former ABA players. And this is, of course, in place of the pension that they never received. You might remember hearing about this situation when I chatted with Scott Tarter on episode 155. Uh, Remember, Scott started the Dropping Dimes Foundation and has been instrumental in fighting for this cause. So there's no doubt in my mind that this wouldn't have happened without him. So very thankful for what he's done. And um, this whole, you know, these recognition payments are going to benefit roughly 115 players that have not been receiving any money from the league. And they're going to get about $3,800 a year. Uh, Now, the truth of the matter is, while I'm thrilled to see that something finally happened on this front, it's just not enough money. And then there are also some players that don't qualify. So, you know, probably about 20 or 30 players. So the Dropping Dimes Foundation is going to continue fighting for those guys and helping them out when they can. So please, if this is something that resonates with you, please consider buying something from the Land of Sports website or donating directly to the cause at DroppingDimes.org. So we've made some progress, but we've still got uh, a ways to go in in caring for these individuals as uh, we probably should as fans of the game. Okay, the second topic I want to touch on is something I posted about on my YouTube and my social media, and that's the release of the new National Treasures product. And I've talked about this product ever since the start of this show, so you already know what I think about it in general. Um, It's a feast or famine sticker dump. And now it might even be a memorabilia dump as well. However, I was watching one break and out popped a Jalen Green Colossal Relic Auto 
with a giant piece of a leftover unworn sweater relic from Hoops Holiday. You know, it's one thing to fill a product with props that players have never touched or players have never, you know, worn. Um, That in itself is bad enough to me, but to have the audacity to put sweater pieces in these basketball cards, that's insane and that's insulting to customers. How do you run out of unworn jersey relics? Why didn't they just grab a random red or white relic from another team? Uh, The whole situation is ridiculous, and I wish the NBA could step in and have some influence over everything here, seen as Panini is being really, um, I guess, irresponsible with this license. But the NBA probably has no clue, or if they do, you know, their solution is, well, you know, we're just going to hand it over to Fanatics here in a little bit and wait it out. Um, Either way, like I've said before, I'm not happy with the current state of manufacturing Um, And and for all the people out there who say, you know, well, people should just take a break from buying new cards, that's hard if you're, you know, collecting current players or collecting current teams, and it shouldn't have to be that way. Um, But you know what? It is, and uh, I have been buying some older stuff, which uh, I guess this is probably about as good of a segue as any to move on to the mail segment. I'm going to talk about a few of those items. So the first card that came in the mail this week that I want to talk about is a 2004 Fleer Ultra WNBA Season Crowns Letterman, or I guess in this case you might, I guess you could call it a letterwoman, of Teresa Weatherspoon. And I got this for about $25 or $30 shipped. Um, I have always loved nameplate cards, but I've never owned one of these. And um, letter cards were just kind of becoming a thing in this era in 2004, and they can be tough to track down, especially WNBA letters, I think there's a chance that this might be the only WNBA letter set, uh, but don't quote me on that. But anyway, um, I got this Teresa Weatherspoon. The seller had it listed as Teresa Thompson. And, um, you know, I don't know if that affected the price much at all, but Teresa is a Hall of Famer. So I'm pretty excited to add this one to the PC. Uh, Unfortunately, there was also a pretty significant crease below the patch window and it didn't show in the listing and it wasn't described. Um, that's always a tricky situation to navigate when it's a rare card you want because you want the seller to know, hey, you know, I've been wronged in some capacity here, but at the same time, it's a really rare card that I want to keep. I'm just unhappy because it wasn't as described. So um, in this case, I didn't necessarily ask for anything. I just reached out to the seller and said, hey, you know, this card has a huge crease on it. And um, they suggested a partial refund, which was the route I went. It wasn't much money. It was like four bucks that I got back, but Um, It was better than nothing, I suppose, since I was going to keep the card anyway. Just a little bit disappointing. But anyway, the next card, though, I would say was pristine. And that is a 1995-96 Topps Finest Refractor of one of my favorite players of all time, Reggie Miller. And this was another eBay purchase in the $25 to $30 range. And that really seems to be my sweet spot when it comes to eBay pricing. But um, the reason for purchasing this was pretty simple. I've talked about my refractor binder project before. I'm slowly finding those in value boxes or, you know, some people are gifting them to me or trading them to me. Um, And for example, my friend Carter gifted me a Mark Jackson Topps Chrome refractor just this past weekend in Dallas. So uh, very thankful for that. But the Reggie Miller ones are not as likely to show up in those boxes or to show up in these places. So I'm just going to have to go out and buy those. So whenever I see one for auction, I've been putting a bid in and I'm kind of knocking them out one by one. Now, so I finally got the 95-96 in. One quick note about that set. 
These are the first finest refractors that actually have a mark somewhere on the card to differentiate the fact that it's a refractor and not a base card. Um, you know, other than the fact that it also refracts light, of course. So on the back bottom left, there's a large capital letter R that tells you that this is a refractor. And uh, another quick note, well, I guess while I'm giving you notes here about 95 Finest, for whatever reason, the rookies in the set did not have a refractor parallel, which is why you never see a Kevin Garnett rookie refractor, or in the case of my project, a Travis Best rookie refractor. So that's kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. They did at least have Reggie. So now I've checked that one off the list and I'm slowly making progress on this whole project. Okay, the last piece of mail I want to talk about today is an unfortunate reminder of a pacer that never was. And, um, you know, I've been mentioning on the show from week to week here how much I wanted the Pacers to make a move for DeAndre Ayton, be it a sign and trade or just signing him outright if possible. Well, they extended him an offer sheet last Thursday while I was flying to Dallas, I knew something had happened when I landed because my phone was just blowing up. So, of course, I got excited for like, I don't know how long it was, three hours or whatever it took for the Suns to match that. I don't even think it was that long. And um, I had been anticipating an eight into the Pacers move for a while now. I thought there was no way that Phoenix would match. So I decided to get ahead of the curve and find an eight and card that I really liked. And honestly, I found the perfect one. Um, it was a 2018-2019 status draft night auto number to 32. I've talked about this set before because I really like it. Not just 2018 status, which I like, but these draft night autos I love. It is my favorite sticker auto set ever. All of the draft picks sign these giant stickers on draft night and Panini builds them into the cards later in the season. They don't just you know slap them on. They actually build them in there so it looks like it's part of the card. On top of that, there's an eight and headshot. Um, but it's got kind of a bluish tint to it. So it doesn't look very Suns-ish at all. If he was a Pacer, it could kind of pass for a card in my Pacers collection. So it was the perfect DeAndre Ayton card for my Pacers PC, except now he's not a Pacer. Uh, have you ever seen the TikTok of the girl that's crying but trying to keep dancing as if nothing's happening? If you haven't, I put it on my Instagram this week because that was me opening this bubble mailer by the time this card came in, everything had already transpired. So um, wasn't as exciting of a mail day as I thought it would be. Regardless, I think I'm going to keep it for now. Because like I said, it's one of my favorite sets ever. It's a pretty important card in the set. Yeah, you know, it's not Luca and it's not Trey. But Aiton was the number one pick. And it will be a piece that I put in my Pacers PC that will help me narrate the time that the team stepped out of its comfort zone and tried to sign an RFA. And maybe some of you that are listening have had a predicted buy gone wrong. Uh, and I'm not talking about prospecting a player or anything like that, but you had a guy that you thought would get signed and it didn't work out. Maybe you have that. Feel free to drop a comment and tell me about it if you'd like. Hey, Kyle, it's Joe, and my Instagram handle is at BigJBasketball. I'm always on the hunt for rare and hard-to-find Manu Ginobili cards, but two specific cards that I'm looking for in particular at the moment are his Topps Paper Gold Parallel from the 2005-2006 set, numbered to 99, and his Upper Deck Ultimate Collection Base Card from the 2007-2008 set, numbered to 199. Thanks to the Wax Museum Podcast for the opportunity to submit this ad, and hit me up if you have any leads on either of these cards. Okay, so Joe is someone I've had the privilege of dealing with before. 
And then even after that transaction, we ended up meeting in person at the Tampa Collectors Con. It's always nice to put a face to the handle or or a name to the handle. Uh, and, And thankfully, we were able to do that. Now, Joe mentioned in there that a couple of tough Ginobili cards um, that he's had trouble tracking down, and I'd love to be able to help him out. So I'll make a post at some point this week to remind you what he's looking for, and let's see if we can't track those cards down. All right, before I move into my Dallas recap, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so this past week I completed the final leg of what I've coined my national replacement tour. And while I'll miss seeing a lot of you in Atlantic City here in a week or so, I'm really satisfied with the way my trips to Indiana and Dallas turned out. It was a bit of a forced change, but at the end of the day, I'm glad it happened. So my plan for this segment is to just go through everything in order And then I'm going to talk about some possible mistakes that I think I made at the end. Um, And then I'll also kind of review my goals. Um, You know, even if I never find myself back in Dallas, maybe someone else can glean something from this experience. So uh, once I finally got to the venue on Thursday afternoon, um, I met up with Chad and Carter, a couple guys that have been on the show before. Chad, of course, joined me last week. And you might remember that part of my strategy going in was to tackle things room by room. Well, it was really just one main room. So even though I, I had heard that it was multiple side rooms, that that is true, but it really was just one main room. Those side rooms really weren't all that big. So um, once I walked in and saw that giant room, I knew breaking it off into sections wasn't going to work as well as I originally thought. And that's okay. You just have to adjust your strategy and move on, which it wasn't a big adjustment. It was just probably like, you know, hey, let's tackle this side of the room or let's start from the back and let's kind of go row by row and we'll just go from there. I was a little surprised at how empty things were on the first day, but I realized it was more of a dealer setup time. Regardless, this gave me a head start on scanning the floor for some of the things that I might be looking for, including the 57 Russell rookie. And almost immediately, I found one. Actually, Chad found it, but it was a PSA 1.5 with a mark qualifier. And the mark wasn't, you know, normally it's like a pencil mark or a pen mark, It was from a piece of tape, which I've never seen a a tape piece of tape labeled like that before. So that was interesting. You know, regardless, I kicked the tires on this copy for a little bit because, you know, I didn't know if I would see another one there, but I felt the price was high. I decided to keep browsing because after all, it was like the first or second table that I came to. So I didn't want to rush it that much. Um, I've stated in the past that one of my goals in going to big shows is to look at nice cards I treat it more like a museum, except in some cases you get to talk to the owner of the exhibit on site. So there was one section as I was browsing early on where I saw three 52 mantles, two 51 mantles, a 48 leaf Jackie Robinson, and a contender's Brady auto all in the span of like a minute and a half. And there's not many places where you have that opportunity 
save for maybe Instagram and the national. So um, anyway, that was nice to see. My little group, we kept walking the floor, and eventually we ran into a seller that had an SGC2 Bill Russell rookie. So yes, I ran into another one pretty early on. Uh, and believe it or not, I'm trying to do the SGC set. So that slab would be my preference. Now, obviously, I didn't tell the dealer that because I didn't need to give him any more leverage. Um, and anyway, I guess it didn't matter in this case because the price was higher than I could get to. And I was thinking, well, maybe I could do some type of a combination deal here. So I pulled out, kind of pulled out my reserves, which in this case was my Barry Sanders Playmakers Theater. And he told me, you know, straight up, I don't even know what that card is. So, um, and it's not like this is a vintage guy either as a young guy. So I told him he might be seeing me again. And I was on my way. Shortly after, I ran into yet another Russell rookie. I think I saw just as many here on this first day than I saw at the entirety of last year's National. Uh, this time, though, it was a BGS 3.5, and it was cheaper than the SGC 2, although, you know, really the SGC 2 probably had better eye appeal, which is a, a big deal for vintage. But regardless, that 3.5 was an amazing price. I considered trying to get the BGS copy and then trading down to the SGC, even though that would have depleted everything I had, and honestly, probably a little bit more on day one. But there were a lot of hypotheticals there with that plan, and I wanted to ensure this was a sure thing. I didn't want to, you know, liquidate everything that I had and then go back to the dealer and then, you know, us not be able to make a deal. So that that wouldn't have been a good thing. So this is the good thing about a multi-day show. You have to adjust your strategy a little bit and revisit things later. And that's what I decided I would do. And, and as you'll see later on, it worked to my advantage. So I was wrapping up the first day on the floor, which was only a few hours. It was kind of that early access time. And I came across a seller that had a 48 Bowman Mike and Rookie, um, which I don't have. And also that one's way, if the, you know, the Russell seemed out of my range, the Mike is way out of my range. But when I saw this card, I stopped because if someone has one of those, they likely have other obscure vintage basketball as well. And sure enough, he did. So we chatted for a while and then um, he says, I got something you might like. And he hands me a thin metal object and he asked me if I knew what it was. And I, you know, I didn't. On the front of it, it said St. Louis Hawks, 1957 NBA playoffs, Alex Hannum manager. Now, I knew who Alex Hannum was. He was a, a player coach for the Hawks at the time. I knew that the Hawks had taken the Celtics to seven games that year in the NBA Finals, and then actually the Hawks beat them the next year because Bill Russell was hurt, but also, I guess, because Bob Pettit had an amazing showing. But I didn't know what the item itself was, so the dealer explained to me that it was a cigarette case that was presented to Alex Hannum for making the playoffs, and it was the item I needed without knowing it. Um... So he quoted me a price that I thought was a little bit high, although I don't, you know, I don't know anything about cigarette cases. Um, and but that seemed to be the theme of day one: prices that were a little bit higher that seemed high to me. Um, that doesn't mean that every dealer in the room was high. I think it was just that um, there was some nice stuff that I wanted. Um, the more I looked at this case, though, the more I told myself that I had to have it. So I asked if he would consider a trade, which he said he would but not until the next day because the show was closing. So that was probably better for me anyway because it gave me time to grab some Taco Bell. That's when Chad and I, we did our big meal. Um, we regrouped a little bit and then I figured out how I was going to approach the second day. And believe me, I did a lot of thinking. 
And I should also point out here, the first night of the show, I didn't buy a single card. Now, I had heard that every night um, at the Dallas Card Show was kind of unofficially a trade night. So we knew that we weren't done for the day. And that evening, Chad Carter and myself hung out in the hotel lobby for a little bit. Chad made a couple deals, including one with a a nine-year-old that really seemed to take a liking to him. And then both Chad and Carter gifted me some PC stuff, which was super thoughtful of them. So thanks again, guys. Uh, But I still didn't buy any cards. And it was back to the room to do more thinking and piece some notes together. So I didn't forget what all had happened on day one. I had to write a lot of this stuff down, or at least bullet points, because there was just so much going on. There's thunder in the background here. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, I don't know why. There's nothing ominous coming here. Um, the next day, because, uh, the next day was amazing, literally right from the start before the show even began, I, I was digging in a value box in the hallway. It's not even on the main floor. It was in the hallway. And I found a Paul Pierce rookie flare showcase legacy number to 99 for 10 bucks. And that's a pretty big card. And I think I might even keep it for my top 75 PC. So needless to say, that was a great start to the day. And then I got to the floor again and I had Russell on the mind. So my goal was to track down the SGC Russell owner and make him an offer that I felt was fair. Um, I thought, it, you know, if he was realistic about it, I had the means with me to get to it. And uh, I was basing that off of a golden comp for an SGC 1. Now keep in mind, he had an SGC 2 uh, because there just aren't a lot of comps out there. He was trying to quote me PSA 4s and such. Um, you know, there is a huge difference in vintage, especially between a 1 and a 4. On top of that, not many of these Russells are ending at auction right now. Um, a lot of people are holding them hostage. So it's hard to get a true, you know, real-time auction comp on a card. So I was looking for this guy. And I remembered exactly where he was set up. I go in, I go to that spot. He's not at, a, at his table. In fact, a lot of people were not at their tables. And that seemed to be pretty common for all days of the show. People really enjoyed their trip. And they were in no hurry to get set up there in the morning. That's fine. It is what it is. Um, I checked again in 30 minutes. I checked again in an hour. And so on and so on. No luck. So I passed the time by branching out into some of the um, other smaller rooms that I mentioned earlier. And one room I go into, and this was probably my favorite table of all of them to go through at the show. It was like a six-foot table full of um, those little slider boxes. Maybe 50-card slider boxes or whatever. And they were full of miscellaneous uh, 2000s-era autos and relics from all sports. And there weren't any major stars, but I was able to put an, a nice little stack together for $25, which was a really good deal considering I got a, a Chauncey Billups Trilogy auto. I got a Kevin Love printing plate. I got some finals relics. Um, I, I was pretty excited to find the printing plate because there's a Kevin Love super collector named Tony. I'm always showing Tony rare stuff, and he always has it. But this time I said, I know for a fact you don't have this Tony. Um, And we were both excited about that. That one, in fact, is already on its way to him. So enjoy that in your collection, Tony. From there, I peeked back into the main room to see if the Russell seller was there. He was not. So I headed into another room I hadn't seen before, which just so happened to have the ComC team accepting submissions on site. Uh, I talked about this on last week's ad read. It's pretty simple. You just prepare your submission and print your slips out and hand it to them. Uh, or if you're buying things at the show you want to send, they had a computer there that you can log in on and they'll help you process everything. And I actually submitted a second batch on Sunday morning and it, it was super easy. So um, hopefully those will be processed in about three weeks or so. 
And I suppose, you know, this is probably a good time to remind you that ComC is a sponsor of the Wax Museum podcast. In addition to running this promo at the Dallas Card Show, they have an even better one lined up for the National where they're offering 40% off elite submissions and 30% off select. So if you've got a stack of cards at home you've been wanting to submit, or if you find some things at the show you'd like to send, a group of representatives will be at booth 1240 to accept submissions and answer any and all questions about ComC. In the meantime, if you want more info, you can find them on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. All right, so after I submitted my cards, I went back into the main room to check on the Russell, and I saw the seller there, finally. Um, But he was standing by another table on the wrong side of the table, at least, you know, if he was a seller in this situation, and he didn't have any cards. So, um, I, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, are you you're the guy that had the Russell, right? And he said, yeah, you know, I sold it yesterday. So I figured it was someone else in the room and I asked him and we were able to track him down pretty quick. So even though I didn't make the deal with the first seller, um, he was generous enough to help me track that down. So I really do appreciate that. Um, And I think even that was forged from that relationship that, you know, that quick interaction that we had the day before. So not only did this second dealer have the SGC2, but he also had an SGC1. And that changed my strategy a little bit because acquiring the one would probably leave me with a little more money to spend on another PC card or maybe even that goofy cigarette case that I was so fixated on the day before. So we got to talking a little bit about comps and I mentioned the SGC1 from Golden. Well, it turns out he was the buyer and this was the exact same copy and he was um, 100% transparent with that. So that kind of helped move the deal along because I knew what he paid, I knew there was a premium, and I knew he had to make a little bit of money. I don't expect on a card like that someone to buy it off of Golden, pay for you know table fees, and then sell it to me at cost. That wasn't going to happen. So um, I was able to pay him a little bit more, uh, and it didn't take long. After about a minute or so, we agreed on a price, and the rest is history. So I am now the proud owner of a 1957 Bill Russell rookie. I wanted to walk around. I I was actually by myself at that time. Um, The other guys had kind of gone off somewhere else. I was by myself. I wanted to go around and show that card to so many people. Um, I I had to practice a little bit of restraint, though. You know, act like you've been there before, right? So, But you guys have listened to me talk about this card on and off for over a year now. and, And a lot of you have been messaging me and cheering me on the whole way. You don't know how much that means to me, and I hope you got some excitement out of seeing that deal go down, um, or at least about, you know, hearing about it just now, so thank you. Also, thank you, Gary Payton. All right, so like I said, um, choosing the SGC1 left me with a little bit of spending money, and I'm already on cloud nine, but I was still thinking about that Alex Hannum cigarette case. I was hoping I could just trade for it. I took my box over to the seller and and he matter-of-factly looked through it and stated, there's nothing here I want. So that left us to negotiate a price. I'd found a previous sale from the case online. I knew he would be making a good amount of money based off that price. So I I cited that in a a polite way. And, um, you know, we settled on a number in between. So he still made some money, but nowhere near what he was trying to make. Um, So anyway, I bought it. It's about the size of a Slab 57, so I figure it would go well with that set that I've been slowly working on. Uh, Now, I I did post a picture of this on Instagram, and someone messaged me to say that their 
has been some fraud with engraved cases in the past, which is something I wouldn't have even, um, you know, anticipated or wouldn't have even thought of. Um, now I don't think anyone would go out of their way to engrave a, a case for Alex Hannum, but I'm definitely not going to dismiss what they said because it certainly sounded credible. So I've got to do a little bit more digging to see what I can find out um, because I don't have any sort of expertise on engraved cases. So hopefully I didn't make any sort of mistake there. I mean, I've got the guy's email. Um, you know, if something ends up, if there is some proof that it is in fact bad, you know, I may, I'll probably reach out to him. But um, I, I think it's probably going to be good. I think it's going to be good. Anyway, at this point, I'm on the show floor, you know, uh, I'm on cloud nine. I've got the Russell rookie card. I've got this cigarette case and I've got plenty more time to roam. So that's what I did. And I found a couple other things before I headed to dinner. At one booth, I traded a Bart Star auto that I cared nothing for, for a short printed upper deck Earl Lloyd auto, uh, who mind you has a rookie card in the 57 set. So it's funny how I keep finding these 57 themed items. And then I went to a dollar box and had an incredible baseball find. Yeah, this is a basketball card show, but I got to talk about it. It was a 1999 Pacific Prism Red Retail Parallel of Barry Bonds. Those are stupid hard to find for any player, let alone a superstar. Um, A Nomar just ended not too long ago for like 62 bucks. Um, And, you know, Barry Bonds is one of the premier players in that set. So all of you 90s collectors out there, you might be able to appreciate how incredible of a find that was. I think I was more excited about that than I was the Paul Pierce legacy. From there, it was on to dinner. Um, Chad and Carter, myself, once again. And we went to a barbecue spot in Plano that gave us the meat sweats. I'm not going to give you all the, uh, you know, the, the full menu of what we had, but it was fantastic. And then it was back to the hotel room to recover and once again gather my thoughts. And there were a lot of them. So, all right. After that, we got Saturday, right? This, so this was only like a day and a half in. This um, was quite the trip. So Saturday, I knew it was going to be a long day. Uh, there was trade night at the end of it. So instead of starting at the show, you know, from the very first moment, and Chad and I had already talked about this, we decided to make a stop at the Sixth Floor Museum. That's where it's believed that Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK. Um, you know, I've studied a lot from that era. It was really interesting. I'm, I'm glad we went it made me feel like I made a trip to Dallas and not just a hotel connected to a convention center. So if you are uh, going to the Dallas show, and, and it is a little bit of a trek, it's like 30 or 40 minutes away, um, but find something else that's there so it feels, you know, so you're not just doing all card stuff if possible. Eventually though, and, and yes, we were there for the cards, so we made our way back to said convention center and it was packed. It made me happy that I I had already found my Russell and I could just browse at my leisure. It also made for a good day to meet up with people that I knew from social media, um, including Topps Paper Super Collector 2NR. Curtis, it was good meeting up with you. And then Celtic Super Collector Jarrett, who you've heard from on this show. I spent a lot of time with Jarrett at this show digging and chatting. You know, we actually, we went through, I don't know, four or five basketball relic five rows. Um, There weren't a lot of, you know, worthwhile cards in there, but it was fun going through there and, and pulling out stuff that I thought he would like and, and, and talking about different sets. Um, that was probably one of the highlights of the trip for me, seeing as we are two very like-minded collectors. So that was a good time. And then finally, it was time for trade night, which worked out well for me because uh, I was able to move some stuff. 
I moved a Jeremy Lin auto that wasn't moving at my local card show. Uh, and then a few other cards and miscellaneous deals, including the Jordan Flight School that I got in the Gary Payton lot. It's the lot that keeps giving. Um, now, a couple of the cards I got in return included a uh, Bill Cower auto from 2004 Fleer Authentics and a Tony Hawk competition used skateboard relic from 2004 as well. Those were two things that I certainly didn't expect to walk out with, but I did, and I'm glad I did. And from there, it was back to the hotel for sleep, which I desperately needed. Sunday morning rolled around. Um, oh, didn't plan. My flight was you know around noon uh, by the time the show starts and I get to the airport. I didn't plan on much that day. I, I took another handful of cards to Com C, and then it was off to the airport from there. So before I leave you today, I want to close with a couple things here. A few more minutes. I want to list some of the mistakes that I, I think I made on this trip or, or maybe some areas of improvement, I guess I should say. And then I'm going to examine the goals I set prior to flying out to see if I met them or not. So um, the number one, I, I guess we'll call it mistake that I made was uh, one that Chad and I joked about ahead of time. So I recognized it ahead of time. That was Flying Spirit Airlines. Um, that is was an absolute hassle. Uh, there were just delay. Everything about the trip there was a comedy of errors. Uh, and then they apologized to us with a $50 voucher for a future flight uh, before October, as if I'm going to get on another plane with them anytime soon. Although, you know what? I probably will because I'm cheap and I'm stubborn. So maybe not my last trip with Spirit, but it wasn't an enjoyable one. Uh, the second thing I want to mention here was a near mistake. If you're riding with someone else, pay close attention to whatever car it is they're driving. Yeah, it seems simple, Okay. Carter ended up driving to the Sixth Floor Museum, and we had to stop for gas on the way. I went inside to grab some Gatorades for everyone. Well, apparently they moved the car while they were waiting for me. And, um, you know, I went out to the same general spot. I didn't think much of it. I walk up to someone else's car door that I thought was Carter, reached for the door handle, and the gentleman looked up at me mid-vape. That's when I realized this is not Carter. And we kind of, we both kind of froze and exchanged some confused looks, so... Uh, I looked ahead then and saw Chad and Carter nearly doubled over in laughter. So good times. Um, you guys are welcome for that moment of entertainment there. Mistake number three, not eating enough real meals or drinking enough water. And I have heard people say this before. I think Justin, when he came on my show uh, a couple years ago, talking about the national or maybe last year sometime, he, he said, I cannot emphasize enough that you need to be drinking water. Well, uh, this trip hit me pretty hard by Saturday morning, and I realized it was because I was more or less just snacking for the first couple of days or eating, you know, strange meals. And um, for whatever reason, I wasn't drinking any waters. I guess I didn't think much about it until I felt like crap, and obviously that's too late. So uh, if you're going to the National Drink Water, there's bathrooms there. There's no excuse to not drink water. Okay. Finally, number four is not a mistake, but I'm going to throw it in here, maybe for areas of improvement. I think I stayed a day longer than needed uh, because I was just absolutely exhausted at the end. Um, maybe if I had taken better care of myself, I wouldn't even be discussing this last point. So, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't the length of days. Maybe it was just me not taking care of myself. Uh, maybe I, I'm just getting too old. I, I know at one point I, I turned to someone and said, I, I'm getting too old for this. But uh, the fact of the matter is I had a lot of fun. I don't want you to think that I had a bad time there. Um, I, it was so much fun that I wore myself out. Okay, so now let's see, though. Was that fun 
really worth it. Aside from just having fun, I had some, you know, goals that I had laid out ahead of time in, in episode 176. Let's look at those again here real quick. In no particular order, number one, I wanted to meet up with people I've interacted with on social media, but never in person. Check, I did that. Number two, I wanted to spend adequate time at every single table. And even though I didn't follow a grid like I thought I would, I think over the course of the visit, I got to just about everyone uh, and several times. There were some tables I saw a bunch, which that's fine. You do want to go back and look at tables again if you have time because inventory is always moving between trade nights and lobby deals and show floor deals. So go back and look at things if you can. Uh, number three, I wanted to submit cards at the ComC booth. I did that. Like I said, it was very easy. And then number four, I wanted to find cards that fit my PC pyramid. Uh, most certainly did that with the Russell rookie. Now, there were no major Pacers finds. And um, I, I thought that was kind of strange. I mean, I know we're not a franchise that has a lot of like real important history. Uh, but I didn't find any Pacers cards of significance. Um, you know, other than stuff that I had, like a Reggie Miller rookie, you know, just common stuff. But anyway, that's fine. I got the Russell and then some other small things. So that's mainly what I wanted. Very happy with all of that. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, I tried to give you just the main events here, but even that took quite a bit of time. I posted some of this stuff on social media. So you want to check that out as well. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.